Warning. The following show features spoilers and opinions performed either by professionals or under the supervision of professionals. Accordingly, Dead and Married and the producers must insist that no one attempt to recreate or reenact any opinion or fuckery performed on this show. Before we get started, Dead and Married would like to thank those very close to our Dead Black Hearts, our patrons. Thank you to Karima Rhodes, my best friend and fellow Tom Atkins lover, Gary Horton, Carissa. Jonathan says thank you. Dr. Sexy himself, Kent Morton. Oh yeah. Kate Lamp, Travis's cowgirl, Lala Thomas. Hey girl. And last but certainly not least, our friends over at the Podmortem Podcast. You can also check out their very own show every Monday on all major platforms. And now... On with the show. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Dead and Married. I'm Travis. I'm Ashley. And I'm Aiden. And this week, we've changed the schedule. (laughs) Ashley, by we, that's the royal we, Ashley has changed the schedule. You know what? It's our show. We can do that. I have no patience. I think we've established this on the show more than once. I have no patience whatsoever. So what are we covering? Today, we are going to be talking everything Halloween ends. Because as many of you know, it came out just nights ago. At, well, as of this recording. It came out on the 14th. It came out on the 14th. And originally, we were going to talk Rob Zombie's Halloween. But we wanted to cover this while we were still having our knee-jerk reactions and first impressions. And because like Halloween Kills before it, or hell, even 2018, this once again is a hugely divisive film and we wanted to talk about it. Yeah, so we we sat down and we had a discussion about changing it up a little bit. And you were like, hey, do you want to do Halloween Ends instead of doing Rob Zombie's Halloween? And I was like, absolutely. Nobody (laughs) wants to hear about that shit anyway. To be fair, this might have been the better movie of the two. Actually, most definitely was the better of the two. Are you here, Aiden? Did you even introduce yourself? He did. I did. Okay. I just... You didn't notice that, did you? <laughs> she totally ignored you. You're Hi, sitting Aiden. right across from first, her. First, you forget that I introduced myself. <laughs> then you forget my mint chocolate chip ice cream. I, I got is. your ice cream. It is on the way. But we are not talking about ice cream today. Or Rob Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> Thank Thankfully. you very much. <laughs> yeah. So I, I just want to say that I think that it is a great thing that they decided, even though, I mean, the pandemic's not over by any stretch of the imagination but even though things have cooled down in that regard I do think it is still great that they decided to do what they did last year and that is make the film available for streaming and for theater I actually wish all movies would be done this way you know that way the ones who don't want to go out don't have to um, and then the ones who do you know still want that experience can still have it you know I'm really glad that they put it up on Paramount on the the same day what Whatever. (laughs) They're both peas. You know know I don't do names. I'm really glad that they did it because we actually watched it at home instead of going to the theater. Yes. And I know that you loved it. I'm about it. Um, I'm really glad that we went and spent the money to see Terrifier 2 in the theater instead of this one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. But it would have been... We we knew that everybody around here locally was going to be showing Halloween ends. I mean, the drive-thru... Drive-thru. The drive-in across the street from us is even showing it. But unfortunately... 
recently something like Terrifier 2, we had to travel an hour away from home and basically make a day of it because it's also a three-hour film, when that is one that I wish would have had the ability to be streamed during its release. Yeah, well, to be fair, I, I feel like not seeing Terrifier 2 on a big screen, you would lose something. And this one, I don't feel like I did. I don't feel like I missed anything by watching it at home. We, we've talked about this a lot. I just like the theater-going experience. I think David Lynch actually talked about it once. The whole experience of getting grossed and the lights being turned down and the curtains opening, which provided we don't actually do curtains, but just that getting transported into another world. The magic of that is why I will never not want to go to the theater to see a film. Well, I don't disagree with you there that there's a different experience, but I'm just saying that it's a better experience when you go to the theater and you watch the movie with all the things and you walk out and you're not like, okay, well, that was expensive. <laughs> he did <laughs> It's not. better when you walk out of the movie and you're like, that was fucked up. <laughs> he, I enjoyed this film more than he did, so I think that's already out of the way. As someone who did not go to the movie theater this week, I have no comment. <laughs> um, as far as my general opinion of movie theaters, uh, yeah, I keep the same. I would rather, uh, I'm like dad, I would rather me go there and see a good, like a really good movie. I don't think this would have had that effect. I think this would have been one of the ones where I walk out of the theater and go, oh, that was expensive. Oh my god, you guys are no fun. I'm sorry. I'd like, I really like movie theaters, but I also really like going to see a good movie. Well, to be fair, Aiden, I don't think you would have made it through Terrifier 2. All I'm saying is that there are some movies where the scope, the scale of the movie itself is big. And to really appreciate it, you need to see it on a big screen. There are some movies out there, and I include Halloween Ends in that one, that the big screen experience is just doesn't, is not necessarily going to add to it for me. I can understand your point. Uh, I guess in particular with this story, this, this particular story felt a little bit more intimate and personal as opposed to something that was grand scale. Yeah, but um, I don't know. I guess later, or as we get on with this I'll uh, tell you why I didn't like that just because I don't know I didn't like that they made it smaller rather than going bigger from what we ended with the last time I understand that I'm going to be very middle of the road mm-hmm. with my opinions on this one because if somebody says I hated this movie I understand why I understand why they hate it um, if they say I loved this movie I also understand that too I fall into the latter category because I did love this movie. I thought it was great. That being said, it wasn't a perfect film. It had its faults. It had its mistakes. And it's not a perfect Halloween film. It's not a perfect ending, bookend, to this trilogy, even. But I still love it nonetheless. As far as this movie goes, I thought the movie itself was mediocre. But the kills were amazing. There were certain small parts of it that I just went, whoa. As far as the rest of it, I could have done without. So why don't we just start with the opening and we can talk about our impressions kind of as we go along so the first thing that i noticed this movie does not open with the halloween theme right does not yeah it felt weird i thought that we you had selected the wrong movie (laughs) when this when when the opening credits started to play and it wasn't halloween music i was like you picked the wrong movie you need to go back to the menu and we're not the only ones that have felt that way from from everything that i have heard you know we got the logos and stuff and we were like going what yeah this is very 
very strange. But then something hit me, which Travis has made every attempt to let me know. I believe his exact words were hardcore cruster. That's right. You're a hardcore <laughs> cruster when it comes to Halloween. Well, I don't know that in Halloween in particular, but cruster. especially since you and I covered the entire series last year, I would say that I'm a Halloween sort of aficionado now. So as soon as we saw the font, I went, oh, okay. And I wasn't the only person who found this out or noticed this either. You see that font and you see the color blue. My first thought was Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. I I knew that automatically. And I will say that I did not fully understand what that meant until after the fact. So we've listened to a lot of reviews and I don't think anybody did. I think they saw the font and they went, oh, Halloween 3. And then after the movie was over, they went, okay, now I know. Yeah, it, which is basically what mm-hmm. I did too. So, but just having that Easter egg, if you will, alone should have told you, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to sound any kind of way here, but it should have told you everything you needed to know in a matter of a minute of we're not going to be in Kansas, Toto. We are not going to get the film that we think that we are going to get, much like the moviegoers got when they walked into Halloween 3 and got no Michael. It should have told you, much like the third one did, this is not going to be a Halloween movie. <laughs> well, it was it was still a Halloween movie. It just was not the Halloween movie that people were expecting. I, I've heard, well, he's not saying anything that I haven't heard already a couple of times this weekend. I've heard multiple people say this is not a Halloween film. I disagree highly. In fact, the fact that they repeated that to me mm-hmm. cements it even more so as a Halloween film because we are repeating history here. Okay. I would say it's absolutely a Halloween film three movie but between the atmosphere just feeling off like i got almost none of what i did out of the original movies that i are out of this i will i will agree that the aesthetic is completely different yeah. but again much like season of the witch was so kind of back to the movie itself is you get the weird music you get the font and then we get pumpkins which is normal right yeah normal we get the pumpkins but instead of the jack-o'-lantern types well we get those and then it ends on a pumpkin that hasn't been carved yet and that that, that pumpkin just kind of cracks open with just mm-hmm. blackness and red spider webs or some shit in it i think that the way they did the pumpkin intro in this one again is kind of telling you the larger theme of what this story is and it's basically the infection of evil mm-hmm. in that it kind of it to me it was almost reminiscent of the pumpkin opening in Halloween 2 mm-hmm. where we had that regular jack-o'-lantern but then as we zoom in we see the skull implying that there's evil hiding inside I took this as reminiscent mm-hmm. of that that you can have this thing but something's going to come out of it like even if it's just this one story there's going to be something that is going to spring forth from that particular story. So in that, I think that the jack-o'-lantern opening was absolutely See, that's, brilliant. See, that's not what I took from it. Of course what not. I, what I got from it was Russian nesting dolls inside this pumpkin. <laughs> is a smaller pumpkin and inside that pumpkin is a smaller pumpkin oh until you get to the smallest pumpkin and inside that pumpkin is nothing um, because so, you can't make a smaller pumpkin <laughs> I unlike you do not watch horror movies introspectively there is nothing about these for me that evokes higher thinking but that means that whenever I had finished the movie as far as that opening scene went the blank pumpkin just felt like misleading symbolism for me and 
what way? As we go on with the story, it like for me, it felt like it meant that there was going to be something new, like a new killer or a new concept. A blank slate. Yes. Okay. A new starting point, perhaps, rather than what we got. Well, no, that's I think not... we got that. I think that's pretty fair. much what but we got was in, the blank but slate. But not in the same way, as far as what I expected. No. No, that, well, there's, there's, none of this was what anybody expected, I don't think. But at any rate, so we actually don't open with Lori yeah, or the, Michael or yeah. anyone else that you actually know from the previous two films. The way that Halloween Kills opened basically previously on Halloween 2018, where we pick up right pretty much, well, not exactly where we left off because we opened up with Cameron stumbling upon Hawkins's body. Right. But it was still, we were jumping right back into but the, the action. The point is, is that you jump back in with characters you know. Yes. And in this one, we don't. We come back in with some kid on his bicycle <laughs> and he just, he rides up to a house and I guess he's a babysitter. Well, he's a land, he, he mows their yard, right? That's how they right. introduce him. Yeah. He's talking to the dad. And do they ever go through the names of mom and dad or are they just mom and dad? I, I don't know that they do, but I did They're not. really only in the movie for about 10 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Not less than that. I didn't do a full blown IMDb check on this Yeah. One. So... He's supposed to be babysitting their little asshole kid. Yeah. And he is. The kid's terrible. Yep. Well, they do this thing where they set you up because the kid looks like, for all intents and purposes, he likes Corey because mm-hmm. he's all, ooh, can you make me an, a paper airplane and we're going to play and we're going to do this. And then it's pretty much that as soon as mom and dad are gone, he flips. It's like problem child. Yeah. Yeah. He 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 faked it. And it's really shitty, right? I mean, we're going to find out. Corey has, I think, in my opinion, he has a full arc, an important arc to the story because because where we set him up as, he's going to be an engineering student. He's got a big future ahead of him. And again, you just talked about he mows the lawn for this family. He's obviously taking care of their kids so they can go party or whatever. He seems like he's a good kid. Like somebody you would trust with your child. So there's no indications here in the beginning that we need to worry about anything whatsoever. No, but what... The kid passes know. a beer he's, for chocolate milk. He does. He does. He's yeah. a good he's a good boy. But the son is not. Oh no. And it starts okay. off fine well, until what... they're watching the thing, which I thought it was cool that they threw that in there. They're watching the thing on uh TV. One of yeah. many after mom said references. no no TV. Like that was yeah. one of the last things the mom told him before they left was no TV because yeah. he's been having nightmares since Michael Myers rampaged the year before. Right. Wetting the bed, that kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Which until they had mentioned that it was like year like year before that that had happened, I was honestly waiting for this to be an opening where as soon as we get in there, it's just right back into Michael Myers' slow right. walking rampage through babysitters and people alike. Well, I think that's what everybody expected is yeah. that it was going to pick up immediately where that one left off but and originally I guess that was the plan right Mm -hmm. is that before the pandemic thing they were going to film Halloween ends immediately after wrapping this this one or kills kills and ends were going to immediately follow one another and then they had to take some time off and plans changed and the story changed and here we are but are you telling me that once again the pandemic has ruined something that could have been possibly great for me (laughs) I I don't know that it ruined it but it definitely changed the the final product so at any rate they're watching the thing and the little kid starts being an asshole yeah. to Corey. Since he didn't want to be in here with some ugly boy babysitter, like yeah. he would prefer a hot girl Rude. babysitter. Well, yeah. not everybody's lucky enough to get Samara Weaving as their <laughs> babysitter. Yeah. You are. Those are facts. 
Anyway. <laughs> but we see Corey kind of, he runs off, I guess, to grab a snack. His parents had told him to help himself to whatever was in the house. And while he's in the kitchen, he hears some commotion, goes to the living room to see that it's in disarray and the child is nowhere to be seen. So I think Corey, as well as us, are waiting, like you said, for mm-hmm. Michael to inevitably show up. And we can hear the boy screaming from what sounds like the, the top floor of the house or attic or whatever. Mm-hmm. So naturally, Corey goes up there to follow him, which I believe, Travis, you were like, um, why? Again. I was also like, um, why? Because he's a good boy. It's his responsibility. So he goes up naturally to check on the child, whether he's an asshole to him or not. But we do find out that this has been a prank. Mm-hmm. And there was there was a thing with a knife. When Corey was going to get a snack, there was a, a cutting board with some bread and a knife on it. And when Corey had gone, looked back at the cutting board the knife had disappeared so when he goes up to try to look for the boy we notice that the knife is now on the staircase leading up to the attic now once Corey has made it to the attic to try to find the boy the door gets shut behind him and we find out that the boy has locked him in there to fuck with him Mm -hmm. and they never come right out and say that Corey has any fear like any claustrophobia but that Mm -hmm. he acts like it like he doesn't want to be trapped in that space which I wouldn't either that's fair so he starts to have a panic attack and is trying to bust his way out and we get that what was it you you made a comment Aiden about like ah this is where we get the misunderstanding bit or whatever yeah because that's inevitably what happens is that we get the parents showing up in tandem with these events happening and right as the parents walk in the door Corey has been kicking at this door well as soon as they open the door they hear him upstairs screaming you little shit I'm gonna kill you yes which but yes Corey ends up kicking the door nailing the child and knocking him down. Knocks him over the railing and he falls three stories, three floors down. That was was brutal. That was was a thing to... A precursor for things to come, definitely. That that boy bounced when he hit the floor. Yeah, like his head like flew up and you could hear the snap. It was a crunch. Yeah. Crunch. And then of course the parents are rightfully freaking out, what did you do? Because all they Mm. see at this point, because Corey for some goofy reason picks up the knife so all they heard was, I'm going to kill you, their son dead on the floor, and Corey standing at the top of the of the stairs holding, holding a, knife. a knife. Yeah. And that's when we get our title card. Yeah. And the appropriate theme in, in pumpkin credits as we were talking about before. So what happens next is we flash forward three years, and it's basically, it's uh, Lori narrating, basically about how the town has been moving on, mostly her and um, Allison, how they have been moving on since the event of what happened in kills mm-hmm. but this uh this narration is her is basically a um like reading of this book she's writing about said events and the after effects my only thing about this opening scene and i know i've heard other people say it before is that it feels unrealistic in her daughter way? is dead her granddaughter was what like brutally maimed not long well not like she wasn't maimed she had a broken ankle oh i thought i remembered her like getting treated way worse than that. No. Never mind. Um, Yes, but she was hardly maimed. But either way, like, there's all this damage that's been done. Her worst fears have come to light. Like, uh, Michael's not even dead. He just disappeared and her response is to take up baking. Well, I think the reason for that, and I I could be off base, but I think the reason for that is she spent 40 years of her life being that person, that hermit, that untrusting
missing person. I think when Michael disappeared, she used that as an opportunity to say, I'm not going to live in fear anymore. I'm going to live my life. Yeah, but the town had sort of the opposite yes. trajectory. Yeah. And that's something that they talk about here at the beginning of the movie or, or that she kind of does. And you get scenes yeah. throughout. And this is where I feel like where, it is realistic. Yeah. So the town seemed fine as long as they had a boogeyman to kind of rally against. Yeah. Not just from Halloween Kills, but overall. Once he disappeared after that massacre, the town just, you know, Lori got better. Mm -hmm. But the town kind of went downhill with it's, murders it, and suicides. Yeah. And I mean, the town just kind of went to hell. Not and that even, it was great before, but if you go back to 78, it was a, almost a perfect little town. Yeah. It was and, suburban America at its finest. Yeah. yeah, that's the saying. Aesthetically, the town is in shambles. So now. it seems like without a villain, Haddonfield sort of implodes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, again, like even aesthetically, there's garbage in the streets. There's graffiti all over the place. Like, it just, it, it looks awful. Yeah. So it's like the fall of Michael Myers or whatever you would call that from Kills. I don't know. It had, it had an impact on the town. Yeah. yeah. It's like the, his evil spread through the town, I guess. Yeah. Which uh. that's sort of a recurring theme in yes. all the Halloween movies. So yes. he left, but his evil remained. And I think that's a big thing. You know, a lot of people complaining about, we just want Michael doing his thing, going, stalking people, killing them or whatever. But I think the approach that David Gordon Green and, and Danny McBride took with this trilogy is they wanted to go beyond that. What is an event like this do to shape its citizens? And not everybody's going to be on board for that. You know, some people are like, I don't want that. I, I don't want, I want my on the surface killer. I want fun. I don't want a, a thinking piece on I, this. I want my mindless slasher, not like a, a small art project that would be more at home and like a college well, made by AV I students. Know. I don't know about that. But so we get sort of this snapshot in the beginning and uh, Lori's granddaughter, I'm drawing a total blank on her name now. Allison. Allison is a nurse and Corey's a mechanic. So working for, I guess it's a stepdad. I don't mm -hmm. know that they ever explicitly state that, but he went from being an engineering student or potential potential engineering student with a bright future to now he's he's a mechanic and he's sort of the pariah of the town yes yeah even though it was an accident and it was proven to be an accident he's still an outcast yeah. right and i will say that i believe after this sort of uh opening banter in the house and the whole cooking thing that our next scene i believe is him at like this gas station and as he comes out these kids come up to him and ask like hey can you buy alcohol from us yada yada for us or yeah for us my bad which um, he went in there and bought chocolate, chocolate milk, milk. Yeah. But, and his response is no. And of all people to make fun of someone, these band kids <laughs> start essentially bullying him because he said no because of an accident that happened three years ago. Well, he doesn't bring that up. They start, they Re recognize, they recognize yeah. him. Yeah. And then the sort of the lead little asshole guy is the one that kind of starts in on him. Get a, but at that point, at some point, Lori shows up, right? After yeah. he, it's after he, after the bully kid knocks him down and he cuts his hand on the glass Lori shows up and he's like it's a psycho and a freak show yeah uh, but she kind of runs him off and they go in the store and then she you know she helps him up and of course she's going to take him to get medical attention but before they leave she hauls out her pocket knife and she's <laughs> like so are you going to do it or am I yep and uh, slashes the tire I loved that bit they, which that's some of the that's one of the things that I don't really get is that she's very introspective she's almost a completely different person from what we saw in the last film mm -hmm. yes and because like she was badass then oh yeah and I get it that she was looking for
for a change, but nearly all of that I'm badass, I can take care of myself stuff is gone. But to be fair, out of uh, all these years of practice, I'm sure she makes a mean peach cobbler. Well, I'm sure she does. <laughs> but, but I still liked that those that was still in her. It was. I just think that over the course of the film, we see her get her feels hurt and start crying way more often than seems appropriate, I guess. I mean, she's basically the, the Ellen Ripley of this franchise. I don't know that she got her feelings hurt and cried, mostly because I don't remember her crying about it at all. Mostly, she would just choose to throw her hands up and go, whatever, and walk away. Like no. she, she didn't engage with those. No. At, at one point later, she does seem genu- genuinely hurt, but I was going to say that as we are seeing that, where Lori still has that in her, in tandem, we are seeing that maybe Corey has a little bit of this in him too, with the breaking of the bottle in his hand. Like he was, he did not do it with intent. It would, he just snapped for a second. Well, he he squeezed it too hard. Yeah, but we see that he he might have some anger in him a little bit too. But at this point, Lori takes him and his bicycle to uh, to the hospital so that he can meet her granddaughter. Because she is going through this thing that she recognizes in him, and this is a thing that's going to come up again. But she recognizes that she was put in circumstances that were out of her control, and as a result, the town has turned on her. Much like Corey was put in this situation where the circumstances were out of his control, and now he is also a pariah. So she recognizes that in him and sympathizes with him and recognizes that maybe he needs somebody, he needs people around him. Yeah, and it's it's sort of, maybe not explicitly stated, but you sort of get the impression that the same thing has kind of happened to the granddaughter too. Yes. Yeah. To an ex- maybe not maybe to a lesser degree because her parents were murdered, but that she's kind of on the fringe a little bit as well just because of her connection to Michael Myers and to Lori. And for whatever reason, ugh, she had been dating officer at this point, Mulaney. Doug which, Mulaney. Yeah, which was one of the asshole kids from the beginning of Kills that was tormenting Lonnie. Yeah, which means which, that she was dating someone as old as her father. I was going to say, which means she was dating someone like twice her age. Maybe a little more than that. Yeah. It's gross. Yeah. And Doug Mulaney is gross too because he does the thing and I... You don't find out till a scene or two later that they had been dating, but he just comes up behind like he's going to pull her over because she's having this issue with her muffler hanging off the back of her car. And he comes up and he's like, I pulled you over because you're the prettiest girl in Haddonfield. And her as well as me as a watcher are going, ew, that's gross. And then she looks at him like, is this really why you pulled me over? And he's like, oh, no, it's because I miss you. And then we're still going, ugh, gross. Mm -hmm. And then he says, no. No, it's because your muffler is is hanging off, and he's you need a, to get that. Fixed. He's a creeper, and it was it was really he's creepy. Yeah, it's 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 gross. He's all a around. creepy, gross, nasty person. Yeah, but you get the idea that maybe he's Allison. A Mulaney. Yeah, that was what I was about to. You get the idea that maybe Allison has faced a little bit of loneliness after. I was wondering how much she'd had to drink <laughs> to date that guy after this is this has happened because it's it's still fresh on our minds that she watched her boyfriend get brutally murdered in front of her. Yeah, so she she's having a rough go of it too and Lori thinks that it's a good idea to introduce these two kids that are going through a hard time maybe they can lean on each other a little bit naturally Allison it's it's almost like a instant attraction like a love at first sight type of scenario because Corey's sitting there getting bandaged up and she looks at him and you can see that she's immediately smitten with him also during this scene we find out that the doctor she works for is an asshole yes by all accounts it's not really relevant in this specific scene but 
but it will be relevant later in the film. It's 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 just fodder at this point. It's not. Well, no, I, I but, wouldn't say anything that, that I wouldn't say that it in any way serves the larger part of the story. It's just I'm yeah. just saying that he yeah. because when he leaves, Corey tells Allison, "You shouldn't let him talk to you like that." Yeah, and that comes up later. Yeah, I would actually argue that it also kind of starts to set up how she also isn't being treated great by any means by the community. Uh, we also, I believe, in the scene get to meet her absolute terror of a co-worker. Well, I think her being treated differently in the workplace is for a different reason. Yes. One that her co-worker was happier to oblige. We're, nudge, the co- nudge, the wink, co-worker wink. was sleeping with the doctor. <laughs> that, and they talk about the promotion that the, the she's clearly kind of an idiot co-worker. Um, is now the charge nurse. She just happens to also be probably boinking the doctor. Doctor. So, yes. yes, and that's not something that Allison would do. So she gets treated unfairly and passed over for a promotion. Yes, yeah. but we also get the setup here where she mentions that there's something wrong with her car, and he's like, "If you bring it by, I can fix it. Not a big deal." And she pretty much wastes no time in trying to set them up on a date. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we should do something together sometime. Now, when this is established, she has carried her car over to the garage slash junkyard. Yeah. And at some point, Corey's stepfather has gifted him a motorcycle that has come in. And there's a lot of parallels between this film and another little John Carpenter classic called Christine. Technically, that's a Stephen King classic. I'll thank you very much. Yes, but it is also a film directed by John Carpenter. Written by Stephen King. <laughs> anyway, between Corey and Arnie Cunningham, which Corey so happens to share the same last name with, in that if anyone who is unfamiliar with Christine, the character of Arnie is kind of a nerd, kind of gets kicked around, and then happens to get this car. And upon getting the car and fixing it up, he has a complete change in personality and becomes murderous. See, when I found out that Corey's last name was Cunningham, my first thought was Sean Cunningham and then went, wait a minute, that's the wrong franchise. <laughs> but nonetheless... He takes this bike on and it's just, there were, there were a lot of nods, whether you think that they were obvious, I thought they were, they were more subtle, but I picked up on that and I went, Hey, okay. I see what you're doing here without us going. Cause I, I realize that at this point we have been going beat for beat for beat with the story. We'll try to move along a little faster here, but Allison does invite Corey out on a date to a Halloween party. And I guess the bar that was in Halloween kills is I now. I think it's the same one. Yeah is now changed hands and is being run by Lindsay. Well, she's the bartender at any rate. Yeah, at any rate, yeah. But they end up going to a Halloween party there, and uh, Corey is Allison's date, and he comes in with a mask. It's a scarecrow mask, but it is still very reminiscent of Michael's. Kind of a clowny-looking scarecrow. Yes, is reminiscent of the mask that Michael wore when he killed Judith as a child. But it's a child's mask, like the molded plastic with a cheap elastic band around the back. Um, either way, he has a moment where he's like, he goes and I guess he get he's trying to get a drink and the mother of the child from the start of the movie starts a like starts fighting with him. See, you just skipped all over the flash dance sequence. <laughs> yeah. You mean the flash dance sequence that gave me a headache where he's a maniac? Oh, yeah. Both maniac on, oh, on, on the floor. floor. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but either way, and so he gets overwhelmed and he just books it out of there. Um, this leads to a short thing between him and what's her name? Allison? Uh-huh. Uh, where he ends up leaving. Uh, and they spart or they part ways, and just as he's coming up on this bridge, enter the band kids. Well, so part of that conversation was he says, You can't fix me, right? Isn't that that this conversation? I've seen memes yeah. already to the contrary. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of thirst memes going on out there right now, I think. But yes, they decide I and I had a hard time trying to figure this out. Oh, never mind. It just it just clicked on me. He of course he and Lori punctured the kids' tires so that that would mean retaliation. Because at first mm-hmm. I was like, why are they continuing to fuck with this kid? Even one of the characters was like, What is your deal with this kid? Well, he says something like he pun- punctured the tires on the LeBaron or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean it, it they just they do specifically state why they're after him. Yeah, yeah. It just took me a minute to remember that. But it is And who a- drives a Chrysler LeBaron? <laughs> Really? I mean, apparently Some, this kid's a whole dad. Who smacks him around. Well, which, his, yeah, that's, go ahead. That's part yeah, of the conversation. Which is what Corey points out, that you're acting this way because your father hates you. And then that pisses the kid off. And then they end up throwing him over the bridge, which I don't know how far down that was, but. It wasn't that far. It was a flesh wound. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was basically sitting on top of a hill. So if I have to imagine, the kid probably didn't throw him very hard. He's a band kid. So it was probably maybe a seven, eight foot drop. And then he. He rolled down the hill. Yeah. Okay, so Aiden, stop shaming band kids. I'm going to shame band so, kids. He was no tuba oh my, player. Oh I my will god. give you that much. Oh my god. So String bean. This is stemming from, and I may as well do a shout out here, uh, I picked up a new YouTube channel amongst all of this. Actually, it was amongst the Hellraiser craze that we had a little bit this past week with Hellraiser coming out, and I subscribed to a new channel. I mean, it's on a new channel, but I subscribed to a channel called 3C Films, I believe is what it's called. Number three letter C and he did some amazing coverage of Hellraiser so I went okay I'm going to continue to watch whatever this guy puts out so in his review of this film he was talking about that scene and he's like he was assaulted by band kids band kids band kids and I I laughed my whole ass off because I mean that's fair like if these had been big jocks I could understand yeah I'm hoping I'm not sounding like really shitty you're doing exactly the same that Aiden just did so (laughs) I'm kids. Like he, like he, in no way looked impressed. By no means did he look like he could grab and therefore throw Aiden, Corey in the first place. Aiden is saying this as a former band kid. Yeah, I you am. were a band kid too. Th- this comes so, from so were you, honey. Yeah, but I was also a football player. <laughs> this I did comes both. From thank knowing you. band kids. <laughs> But at some point, I think we we have missed an establishing shot somewhere where it's been alluded to that Michael has probably been hiding out in these sewers. So mm, I don't know about that. I think, I think hear, there was one. There small, was like three missing persons. Yeah, but I think there was a was, small yeah. establishing shot but that kind of gives the hint that Michael is in was, that area. See, I thought Pennywise was down there. There was a um, <laughs> like old Stephen King's It style shot of just like one like singular sewer opening. It's a like storm drain, drain outlet. Yeah, hi, George. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, but there is an old man guarding it. And so we talked about this briefly. Is that back to Halloween 4? Was it 4? Yes. 5. Where where Michael had fallen down 
the mine shaft five, mm-hmm. not five. Um, <laughs> and Doctor Death was caring for him. So now Michael's still in yes, sort of a cave like mm-hmm. place in the storm drain. Yeah, and there's an old homeless man camped in front of the hole. Yeah, so just similar, maybe not. So maybe we're off base. Yeah, maybe we're off base. But it that it was reminiscent to us of that that Michael has been out of commission for a time, mm-hmm. and, and once again he's wounded. Yeah, and trying to restore his strength or whatever. Um, I, either way, by hook or by crook, Corey ends up crawling in. No, no, no. Michael no. drags his oh, body in right. There. No, I'm, that's the second time. But either way, so uh, he gets dragged in there by Michael, wakes up down there, and for whatever reason, he isn't dead. But if I remember, he freaks out, right? And ends up trying to leave. Mm-hmm. And then Michael grabs him. And this is, the, the, this is a point of contention for some viewers, is that there's a transference thing that seems to occur between the two of them. And again, I have no problem with this because again, it was very reminiscent to me of the end of Halloween 4 with what happened between Michael and Jamie. And in your mind, you're thinking they did not decide to go with that storyline of Jamie being our killer in the future. Are they going to go that route now? And there's no simple way about it. It's yes and no in that regard. But at any rate, they seem to lock eyes and something passes between the two of them. Now you you can have your own interpretation if you want, but the way I took it personally was Michael recognized something inside of Corey and therefore that is why he let him go. Like evil recognized evil. Mm-hmm. The way Loomis saw it in Michael, the way Lori is about to see it in Corey. They just mm-hmm. have an understanding of, you know, and even the, the father of the kid that was accidentally killed even he says it later i just saw something in his eyes that told me that is not the same boy who mowed my lawn before but um either way climbs out and this homeless guy the one that we had mentioned before that was kind of guarding the tunnel accosts him claiming to be asked him what his quest was and what was his favorite color was ha ha (laughs) either way he accosts did he warn him him about the rabbit (laughs) he did not um, and is like, I'm the real Michael Myers and such and such. Crazy homeless people. Yeah, ramblings. I want my mask back. Well, he wants him to go in there and get the mask. Yeah, and then he gets shanked. Well, he pulls, so when, uh, Corey went over the bridge. Yeah. He still had, I guess, Lori gave him that pocket knife that they used to slash the tires. I uh, pulled it out he, again later, so. He pulled it out on the band kits and then they threw him over the bridge. When he yeah. falls off, you see it stuck in the ground a few feet away from him. So the knife that the homeless guy tries to stab him with is Lori. Lori's pocket knife that she had given him. Yeah. So, but this part of the movie was, I don't know, I don't want to say it was the beginning of the end for me, but it just didn't, that that part did not compute. I, I'm totally okay with the whole them seeing each other in the eyes and all the, the stuff, right? They were, they soul gazed each other, whatever, but... The fact that Michael... Vulcan mind meld. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that Michael just let him go, because that's just not anything that he's ever done in the past. Not right. really. That was That is a complete departure from any behavior we've seen from him in the past. Now, there's a scene that happens later, and I would say, okay, maybe this is more of a Dr. Death situation where he's keeping Corey around to feed him, sort of, right? And then it turns out to not be that either, but... I've, I've heard comparison to Hellraiser in that... He's it, Julia. He's Julia in that he's bringing him his... Right. Right. bodies to strengthen him. And, yeah, and we'll talk about that when we get to that part of the movie, but this this whole part here where they you see Michael sort of dec- he he needs a fucking tennis ball walker. <laughs> 
at this point. I mean, he's old man Myers. He's he's going to have to have his life alert bracelet or something. Yeah. This this didn't work for me at all. That's fair. Because it, it, in the the movie immediately preceding this one, they talk about how the more he kills, the stronger he gets. Well, he just slaughtered like twenty people in the middle of the street. He took them out and fucked them in the street. <laughs> Just like, <laughs> what movie was that? Pineapple, Pineapple Express. Express. He had Begley jr him. And I just, and now he's just some decrepit old dude. And that didn't make sense to me. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like they just took, in this film, they immediately reversed everything they said about him in the movie that came before it. And I think that's where my first major problem with this movie comes from is that he go they go from like he's transcending what it means to be human to i'm pretty sure if you took the mask off i've seen him walk into a place that does bingo so no but my thing is in halloween kills they made him supernatural yeah for all intents and purposes like this he he would have been 60 some odd years old and strength wise he's unstoppable like they can knock him down but they can't keep him down so that's my thing is by him hiding out and not really having the kills has he been going I mean is he back to just kind of being a man but he spent all those years in a mental institution not killing anybody and when he came out he was that's fair like all sex nuts and stuff again we have a point later where it seems like Michael takes something back yeah I figured we'd talk about that when we get there but so I just eh. but here's my thing and I'm not trying to to be a bitch. But some of my aggravation with people has been that they're like, oh, I don't want to see Michael like that. Oh, my boy. I don't want... Okay. There are, there are 12 other fucking movies you can watch if you just want to see Michael doing his thing. It's not that Michael's my boy and I don't want him and to do it like you. that. It's my... It, it's the inconsistency between the film that came before it and the very beginning of this one. Yes. I understand. That's just, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's... I'm not saying it's perfect. There are... there. That is one of my gripes too is that there are plot holes in this film. Like if you had ended Halloween Kills with they gave him the beat down they're all you know high-fiving and slapping each other on the ass <laughs> and then they turn around and his body's gone and he didn't kill anybody else and then you snap to this you got me. Okay. Yeah, that he was been. wounded he's been hiding out he's been trying to recover his strength and that's the reason he's in the condition that he's in. But that's not how it ended. It, yeah no. He went like WWE Smackdown on those guys. Straight He stuck a baseball bat up Tommy's ass. <laughs> like he showed him where old Huckle Barry goes and like that's just that i can't reconcile those two images in my mind that he exactly. goes from this unstoppable terminator like killing machine it's fair like i said i'm not arguing he, i just i just have a, a big problem when people they don't they don't want horror franchises to take any risks they want the same thing over and over and over and over it's like it's okay for us to have something different sometimes yeah, you can't but, eat that shit every day fred yeah <laughs> but no that's that's my only real problem is that in the last movie we go from him slaughtering what I can only imagine were incredibly buff firemen, considering that's what they do for a job. Like, those had to be some large individuals wielding, like, the jaws of life and the frickin', like, fire axes. That old man bones be damned, like, he's ripping these people to shreds to this movie. Help me. I can't get my tapioca pudding open. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> like, for real. Now he's eyeballing Chris Griffin. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's bad. <laughs> Anyway, I think we've talked that out. <laughs> yeah. But this is this is where you get a major transition from Corey. And by the time he gets home, obviously the next morning, his mother, who is a saint of a woman. Uh. <laughs> she's going to get her own holiday. It's, it's going to be called Scream and Shame Your Child Holiday. and um, Oh, and try to molest them, possibly. Yeah. I, you know what? I don't know. I don't know about all that. 
We probably shouldn't talk about that part. I'm um, just saying, we, we've talked about this on Pillow Talk before, I believe. I, yeah, we have. You don't kiss your grown-ass son on the mouth. You no, don't. you don't. I don't it's do that. It's not a thing. It's creepy. It's gross. It's... It's yeah, weird. No. It's yeah. it's weird. And she does. She tries to kiss him on the mouth. But she, she made me think of Eddie's mom in the It series. You know, she's all like, who are you texting under the table? You're not allowed to be talking to girls. You don't need to. Be. It's like, ah, like, please well, make it stop. What I was actually talking about was his, his sort of, I called it the Spider-Man moment, right? When Spider-Man wakes up and he realizes he's got powers. Yeah. I don't he makes it back home and he goes to the bathroom and he strips down and he's beat all to hell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But even he's kind of like shaking and looking at himself in the mirror like something's different. I don't. Well. I was going to say, that's one of my favorite, the cinematography in this film was really great. And that is one of my favorite shots in particular, is him looking at himself in the mirror and you can just see that he, yeah, blank. He, he never says it, but you can tell he doesn't feel the same. Yes. Yeah, and he, I would, he can feel a difference after that. And whether it's purely psychological or it's an actual thing, yeah. who knows. But Honestly, I kept waiting for his wound to heal. Well, his I was going to say, I would argue that you also begin to see the start of those powers that Michael yes. sort of seemed to get. Because what I have to imagine would have been like this deep bone bruise from falling and rolling down that hill. What should have been like this really nasty, dark reddish purple. Whenever he takes all his clothes off, it's like it's, it's already fading. yellowed. It's, it's already yeah. yeah, it's already started to turn yellow, like it's yeah. healing. Yeah. So yeah, I was waiting for him to take off the bandage on his hand, which by the way is the same hand and the same style of bandage as far as location goes as Michael had from his injury. Yeah, before. except Michael's missing fingers. Yes, I'm just <laughs> saying that that felt there there was these little tiny little inklings of something is amiss here. They left Michael just enough fingers to flip somebody off. Oh my it. god. No, they left him just enough fingers to audition to be a ninja turtle. Like like okay, I started from the beginning one of the first things I noticed was same initials or same matching initials, Michael Myers, Corey Cunningham. Or he could be a Marvel superhero. Right. (laughs) So that was one thing. The next was that he works as a mechanic and has a blue jumpsuit. So that was the next thing I noticed. And then they do like these little slight nods throughout. Like there's a scene um, pretty soon after this where Lori is looking out her bedroom window and sees Corey standing behind the bushes, much like our original film. And which, I mean, you know, that's a hard kind of situations. Yeah, but you get... So, okay, so I, th- I believe that this, after his encounter with Michael, is the beginning of the same obsessive behavior that Michael had for Lori. Yes. Because he never necessarily set out specifically to hunt Lori, but it's like once he saw her, he had to have her. Does that make sense? I don't think it was Lori as so much as Allison. No, no, no. I'm talking about like the OG Halloween. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Once Michael Myers started hunting like 1978, once he saw Lori, he just kept coming for her. Yes. And he did kill other people, and maybe killing her was never his original intent. We've talked about that. It, you know, it's not all about her. But he did consistently come after her. And I think that that standing behind the bushes thing is an indicator that Corey now has that same sort of obsessive behavior over Allison. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I would actually argue, sorry, this weird off-topic thing, that Michael maybe never really meant, at least in those first few times, to actually kill Lori. Because there's that moment where, like, he's scrapes her arm, remember, with the knife? Knowing Michael, that would not be a shot he missed. That would have been, like, back of the At shoulder blade. At that point, blade, though, you know? he is trying to kill her. I know, but I'm saying, like, but I understand for anyone what else, you mean. Michael would not have done that. That would have been, like, he's going to go through no, their shoulder that blade, was, pick them up, and, like, that was getting slaughtered. Jamie Lee Curtis's plot armor. That's what that was. <laughs> it was purely yeah. luck. Kind of like, yeah, how is still. it that, how do they blow a hole in Jesse Ventura with a predator cannon, but it only gives, you Arnold, know, yeah. Arnold, Arnold kind of a, a sore 
shoulder. Yeah. yeah. It's because he's got peck armor. Yeah. And plot armor because he's Arnold Schwarzenegger. But we digress. In the moment where, yes, she sees Corey behind the bushes and then he's gone the next minute and she goes out to look for him and then he pops up behind her, scaring her, saying, I'm sorry, I was just here looking for Allison. Then something transpires between them two where now, in a sense, it almost feels like Lori is becoming Loomis and that she is recognizing that something is very, very wrong with this boy. Whereas in their first encounter, Lori seemed very almost protective, motherly. In this second one, she's very visibly uncomfortable the minute he gets close. Well, I think even she recognizes that something changed. And this is the part yeah. where you're talking about where she goes to the bar and she's talking to the dad. Yes. Yeah. Of the, the boy that fell at the beginning of the movie. And even he's like, that's not the same kid. Right. Yeah. So we're, we're leaving out some stuff uh, pretty much for runtime. That's because you need to subscribe to Peacock or Paramount or <laughs> whatever it is and watch it. But at some point, we are finding that Corey has now been staying in the house of the boy that he killed. He's been sleeping on the bloodstain yes. where the boy died. And so at some point after this thing transpires between he and Lori, Lori ends up coming to that house and basically telling him he needs to stay away from Allison. Like, she's been through a lot. This is not a good relationship for her. And this is the first time Corey says, if I can't have her, nobody can. So, yeah. okay, we did skip over something that I felt was really important. After after the incident of the bar, where mm -hmm. he runs away, throws off the bridge, blah, 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 blah. He comes back, hiding behind a bush, wants to see Allison, will you take a walk with me? Well, the walk brings him to that house. Yes. And he's showing her around. And I, I pointed this out to you. That. Why? <laughs> it's important. Okay. But at some point, you, she's downstairs and he's upstairs where the, oh. where the boy fell over. Mm -hmm. And it's just a flash of it. But when he walks up to the railing, if you look at the shadow on the ceiling behind right. him, it looks so help me. That's Michael Myers' silhouette, not his shadow. Yeah. Right. It's the shape. Because you can see like the collar sticking up, but he's not wearing a collar. So yeah. he's casting the shadow now. Yes. The shape. Yes. That is, that I did not catch that the first time. And when you pointed that out to me, I was like, holy shit, you're right. That... And that was like one of those kind of mind blowing moments that I had. Mind blowing. Yes. I'm sorry. But it's moments like that, like what you you mentioned with the shadow that I it, it sort of put that thing in my head of this is going to be the movie where Michael does what they had talked about that he transcends that rather than being Michael Myers he becomes the shape this like um, this being outside of rational thought something that exists purely to be and to spread evil Eldritch yes which just doesn't you use happen. the word anyway yes mom used the word I actively attempted to not use the word like, but you used the word something straight out of like your Cthulhu mythos type yeah, of thing. Yeah, something that exists there uh, entirely to sow chaos. I got that out of my word of the day calendar. Thank you very Good much. Good job. At some point, he becomes Sam Hain. Yes. Sowen. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I don't know. I was really disappointed that didn't happen. Like that yeah. was, uh, So let's let's fast forward a little bit in the story here. Oh, we're going to like fast track these kills. We, we have to at this point. So as with it seems like, like Michael, with every subsequent kill, Corey is gaining strength. Yeah. Because we do get to a point where Corey is capable of shit that I would not have thought possible. Well, at I don't all. know that he's gaining physical strength. I think the first change. Can you explain some of the, those skills then? Well, 
probably. This but, is like a young kid who should not have this kind of. So ability. I will the say first, one. the first thing that he picks up for me in the film that is Michael esque mm-hmm. is the ability to move silently and just fucking disappear from someplace. Yes. <laughs> he should, yeah. So he's if, a goddamn ninja turtle. So if that was Rowan Campbell yeah. actually doing in the Michael mask and suit, whatever, walking, holy shit, did he have that fucking nail? That was. And we skipped impactful. over our cameo by the original Michael, Nick Cassidy. Yes, we did get in a castle cameo that at the uh, Halloween party. Sorry, but yeah, I think the movement and his the silent part of it came first. It was just wild, and we it do was... see a, a sort of a strength difference from what you would typically expect. I just don't think it. Was, I think it was to a lesser degree. Yes, it was not Michael esque of I'm going to walk through this. He's, he's not pinning door. people to walls, and so, he was defeated by a sliding glass door. So uncharacteristically, <laughs> he's basically taking out all of the people who have wronged him or are standing in his way. Or so Allison. Michael does not do that. So in our, uh, uh, not our first kill of the movie, but our first effective kill of the movie, and this was one of my favorite scenes, was, I was about to call him Rowan, Corey shows up to the doctor that Allison works for with his mistress, whatever, I don't know. Oh no, that guy was single. That nurse, <laughs> the nurse that took her job or whatever, took her promotion, and he kills the doctor. He's holding him down and stabbing him repeatedly. Silently. In the chest. Yes. yes. Like he just Houdini'd that guy. Yeah. Yes. But there's no sound until she turns around and sees it. Of course, then you can hear it. And it's then like, ah! right as the nurse has stumbled upon this and is like, oh my God. Then Corey looks behind her and we see Michael Michael. In and true. I, and then I threw away all my blue pills. <laughs> in true supernatural fashion. Uh, he just like appears behind one of the, behind one of the curtains yeah. and just walks out and god I know I know this is this is I'm sorry guys this is bonerific material for me he just, the way he grabs her by the throat with only three fingers because that was his strong hand slides her slides her across the floor I, that was the first moment I actively cheered yeah because that was that was fucking everything but then when he lifts her up off the ground and nails her to the wall with the butcher knife <sighs> Perfection. I did but, say, I did say last week when we talked about resurrection, it's like, can we please stop repeating Bob's kill in every single fucking okay, movie we do? Okay, but, okay. But James Jude Courtney does it well. James Jude Courtney yes. can do and that. And he's I got the head turned down too. I was going to say, I feel like what really tied that kill together, just like with all the others, is the head turn. Like, I don't know what it is, but seeing him do that was just perfect. Yeah. I agree. Like, it's like Bob Ross looking at a happy tree. Yeah. For our first Michael Myers kill of the movie, that was perfect. I think it's poetic that his first real kill was that. Yeah, but then I believe, uh, is it before or after that we get um, cop kill? Because I think we might have skipped I think we skipped the cop kill. I think we might have skipped that, yeah. Um, So, So, yeah, we need to kind of rewind for that one. Yeah, to to go back to that, our technical first Michael kill is that Corey basically lures down Mulaney? Yes. Well, after he punked him at the diner because he was creeping on Allison pretty yeah. hard. Yeah. Either way, he gets uh, Mulaney lured down there to the storm drain, and as he climbs in, isn't it that as he climbs in, he basically God, okay? So he get he get happens? he gets him in there. Yeah. 
and he's kind of baiting him around. Yeah. And then he grabs him and he tells Michael, show me. Yes. And old right. crippled Michael comes out yeah. and slashes his throat and then he stabs him. And then he like he he, he really does look decrepit at this point. Yeah. And Mulaney's body falls on top of Corey's him, body. He yeah. starts kind of shaking and you see him stand up a little straighter. Yeah. I will, I will admit we and made comments we did, about we that did, scene. We did joke about Michael getting it back up. Yeah. <laughs> his, but, uh, his coveralls were ruined. Okay. So at the, here's the deal at this point. Point, and this is what I wanted to talk about earlier. If you turn this movie into Corey is is evil, even if it's the same kind of evil, and he's feeding Michael. Yeah. Right? He's giving Michael these people, bringing them to him so he can kill him and regain his strength, and kind of using Michael uh, sort of towards his own end mm-hmm. to get revenge or whatever. Okay, you got yeah. me. That's just not the direction it went. Yeah. But, um, and then after that, I, well, we skipped another thing. Another thing. There's a scene where him and Allison are sitting on top of this radio sh- or on top of uh this that came radio later station. that came oh, later. later oh yeah oh okay now you're skipping ahead i no Sorry. we're not talking about the kill itself we're talking about they just had like a, a date there well yeah. yeah but that's when they they decided they were gonna leave yes they that's they've had this was, yeah, yeah. But they get up there and they're talking and it's like, he's like, yeah, you, it's like, I used to come up here all the time. And eventually they come to this decision of like, should we just get out of here? Yeah. And let's just like, leave Patty yeah. Field. So let's Burn just, it to the ground. Let's just bring up the part where at least Ashley, you and I were both kind of like fanboying out okay. when he, when they were saying like, when, when Corey is like, you know, I used to sit and stare at this thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. I see and then, and, you know, they always say Michael was standing at his sister's window. What was yes. he looking at? And we were both like, oh my God, was he looking at the radio tower? Yes. Is it like a beacon? Well, yeah. that's because, and uh, to, to shout these guys out for a thousandth time, this was a theory that we watched a movie we're going with because when they were seeing production stills and, and clips and different spoilers for ends, mm-hmm. the radio tower kept coming up. So they were saying, what if this radio tower is a thing i don't i don't know a beacon for these guys almost i i, I don't know how to how to put that um, correctly but yes Corey was talking about looking at this radio tower staring at it whatever and then we were going what was michael staring at through judith's window so that was a thing uh, ultimately obviously it never panned out yeah. to anything but at any rate yes this is the big plan and that is that Corey and allison are planning to leave mm-hmm. haddonfield and he did have a line about i'm gonna we're gonna burn we should burn it to the ground or whatever yeah um which ends up becoming a thing later but again ultimately never paying off in any real tangible yeah. way um but either way this like d-bag radio host slash di- disc jockey accosts them as they start to leave and um basically uh he well he's a bully and he's um like picking on Corey for the whole thing with um the boy with the boy and then i'm i think i remember him saying something to allison about about michael and then he's basically like y'all just get out of here he, he runs them yeah. off he's like get off get the fuck off my property or whatever so they they go mm-hmm. but again jumping kind of kind of forward in this thing the next thing is at some point we have to it's inevitable that we're going to take out the band kids yeah right so this is my favorite bit of the movie like i don't know the ultimate this is my favorite scene yeah. of the film and that is that Corey, after taking michael's mask away from him that doesn't end up eventually happening he goes back yeah. to the sewer takes the mask away um, 
which I know a lot of people are like, how the fuck did that even happen? Old man Michael. I don't know, guys. I can't, I cannot logically explain that to you either. Nonetheless, he takes Michael's mask away from him and decides tonight's the night. I, uh, he, that's it. He's going to go take out every, every other thing standing in his way. So he goes back to the junkyard and those kids, those band kids show up and stepdad, Corey's stepdad is sitting there on the property watching Hard Target of all things. Yeah, you, you skipped a small thing. Oh it, my God, guys. Sorry. We're going to be they here for three I, hours if I, I talk know, about I everything. Know. So it's not that they just show up there. It's that Corey leads them there by taking, I assume, the same pocket knife and scrawling Psycho on yes. the um, hood yes. of the car. But either Fair way, point, Aiden. Yeah. <laughs> so to kind of back up and interject some facts, the radio tower, mm-hmm. the radio station, W-U-R-G, mm-hmm. WURG, if you translate it from Dutch to English, it means to strangle. Oh, nice. Wow. Cool. You're yeah. welcome. <laughs> That's neat. But um, either way, he gets them led down there. And then uh, I believe you had a comment about the uh, first shot of our killer with the uh, car. Did I? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, every time I start talking, you're like, go back, go back, go back. No, this is this is where the obvious nods to Christine end up happening. But he starts picking off these kids one by one. There's one kid with an unfortunate haircut and eyebrows. We don't we don't pick on anybody's personal style, but it was a choice. It was um, a choice. He impales him through the eyeball. With a drumstick. With a drumstick. Not like a turkey drumstick, <laughs> but like an actual drumstick that you use as an instrument. <laughs> I just felt like we needed to clarify that. Uh-huh. But uh, we we see that that kid is dead. And then um, I don't remember specifically if it's that Margot girl who's next or yeah. if it's... So um, then the second band kid, uh, he starts to run them down with this car. And yes. And one of them gets trapped under the fence. But there is another one. This is where I was going to say oh, that this, this was the shot from Christine where you had the headlights and then the girl running and all you see is her back yeah. and him going after her yes that that was right out of christine yeah but but he does she does get on the manage to get on the other side of the chain link fence before he mows the truck through that crushing her but or pinning her between the ground and the fence yeah how that didn't kill her i don't know no she should have been dead but then in the middle of killing these people again in same fashion as he exits the truck he just disappears and for our second kill doesn't he he slices the throat open of one of the uh one of the next band kid right Mm -hmm. just yeah cuts her throat open and it is at this point that uh lead d-bag alerts the dad hey getting killed out there help (laughs) yeah and just like the useless piece of crap he is uh after being handed a rifle tries to shoot at Corey, only to kill the dad and then Corey disappears again well that's because he used his points to unlock the shadow walker skill tree first (laughs) yeah just don't worry he multi-classed into monk that was shadow step. He's yeah, on he's, key points, I swear. Good. But as this girl, and I believe her name was Margot, is pinned under the fence, the next thing we see is that Corey has that lead D-bag kid on the ground and is blowing a blow He blow torches his mouth. Right in the fucking teeth. Oh my god, it was... <laughs> that might be the best kill of the movie. That was my favorite. And the thing okay. is, you don't really see it much. No, you don't. It's 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 blurred. Yeah. Still awesome. You know what also would have happened with that? Because it's fire 
there, as that's going off, it also would have caused the lead D-bag to asphyxiate as his throat is being burned through. Well, because he would have aspirated that superheated yeah. air and burned the inside it, of his it, lungs. It was super yeah. fucking cool, though. It was at this point, I was like, I'm with Corey no matter what. Like, to the death, I am yeah. with this character. So the thing is, is that we just need to send that into the guy that made Terrifier, because he would totally put that in a movie, <laughs> oh, yeah. and you'd get to see it. Yeah, but, and then, this is where I would say he got his strength boost, because to finish the last person off, he curb stomps them in a fashion that their forehead literally, like, on what's, like, collapses as he just crushes Her head it. just went crunched. Yeah. It was a depressed yeah. skull fracture. It, but yeah, like, Gallagher like... gives them to watermelons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we were sitting there going, holy shit, like, the strength, like, where did this come from? Yeah, and that was just, like, one of the most brutal parts of the movie. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so from here, we go to the radio station, right? We're back mm-hmm. there, um, where they had their date, and the kind of douchebag DJ came out, and he was like, y'all better leave before I fuck y'all up. Um, except that's not how it goes, and we get an awesome cameo from Darcy the Mail Girl. Yes, I was so happy about that. She was I was awesome. happy to see her in this. Yeah, so it was, was cool I. that she got to be in a big movie. Yeah, and it she he she dies, but it, you see it in the background, and it's yeah, yeah. you don't yeah. see it's how true. she dies. Uh-huh. But the DJ, on the other hand. That was pretty brutal. That, yeah. Like, would, he smashes his face until his teeth come out and then cuts his tongue off with scissors. Yeah. Yeah. And that, now that's a level of sadistic that Michael never went to. Yeah, I think that's that, that's my thing, is that Corey is meaner. Oh, I agree. I and, agree. But then in a very... I don't think it was intentionally it was, uh, it supposed was to be funny, but... Funny in a dark humor kind of yes. way. His tongue lands on the, a record. Uh, on the record. And so as it's spinning, every now and again, it skips because the because the little... Oh, what is that? I'm sorry. I, but the little like rod... The needle. The needle keeps bouncing on the tongue. So you I hear like how two you, seconds music yeah and i like how the tongue starts to flop at one point yeah (laughs) and even so that in the next scene when allison is driving her car to the diner they're supposed to meet at even she's hearing that the music is fucking up over the radio so i i did think that that was pretty funny yeah yeah Yeah, but that's when it's like we gotta leave and whatever she's supposed to be meeting him but he's not there Mm -hmm. yeah right um but he calls he calls her at, at this point right and he tells her that they gotta leave they gotta leave tonight Lori has threatened to kill him and And I guess they have their fight and she takes off. But then he shows up at Lori's house. Yes. Yeah. And this fight was not what I expected it to be. Honestly, I expected a bigger showdown between the two of them. I think... Like, once I realized that Michael wasn't necessarily going to be the centerpiece here, I thought that the big final fight was going to be between those two. But it just... It didn't come out that way. She calls the police, tells them that there's somebody going to commit suicide, and Mm -hmm. gives them her number. But apparently that was all for his benefit. Yeah. She knew he was in the house, I guess, at some point. So she shoots him twice, like in the in the traps. <laughs> well, she she does a fake like out where she, shoulder. she's going to shoot herself, but she ends up shooting a pumpkin. And then when he comes through the door, she says, you actually thought I was going to kill myself or whatever. Yeah. And then in one of the most hilariously, almost ironic and unceremonious ways, she shoots him twice, sort of uh, like, yeah, like you were saying in the traps, almost up high shoulder. And just like the kid, he goes butt over tea kettle over the side of the railing and just wham. But then he repeats but- the line back to her. Yeah. Yeah. If right. I can't have Allison, nobody can, and proceeds to stab himself in the neck. And of course, this is when Allison comes in. Yes. After Lori has pulled the knife out of his neck, she's standing there holding the bloody knife. Corey yes. is dead on the floor. Mm. Much like 
the and, little boy's death at the beginning. Right. Yeah. And Allison immediately jumps to Lori did this. Yes. So she leaves. Yeah. Right. She comes in and she's like, oh, of Corey. And then takes off. But and then, this is where Michael shows up. Yeah, I was going to say, but Lori's not stupid. Yeah. She still knows that he's there. Well, because he was wearing the mask. So Lori goes, and I think this is the part where she puts something in the microwave, right? Well, first you see a hand pick the mask up off the floor. And you know Michael's yeah. back. Well, no, it was that she had walked. She had walked off, right? Right, but she puts something yeah. in the microwave. And she's hiding, and that was it's like the pull cord to raise the, and lower the blinds was ticking mm-hmm. or tapping on something, and he didn't know where she was until she reached up and stopped it. Like, just leave it alone. Yeah, she should know better by this point. Like, but the microwave bit too was established in the beginning of the film that this microwave explodes food or whatever. Yeah. So she kind of used that as a distraction to when it goes off. This is the time to yeah. jump out and attack. And- and unlike in the other movies, in this one, as he's distracted, she comes out wielding a fire extinguisher and just whacks. Okay, so to be fair, she only gets in one good whack. Yeah, but it's still a meaty whack. Well, she knocks the knife out of his hand. So... I've heard people land on both sides of the fence on this fight. Some people have said, yes, this is what I was here for. This was the only time I felt any suspense in the movie. And other people have said that this fight felt very unceremonious and lacking and that Michael was taken out way too easily by her. I feel like it was short, but it was very effective at that tug of war. I still feel like it was a brutal fight. It was a brutal fight. It was just shorter than what I expected. She got a name. Needle to the ear. Like the whole thing took place in the kitchen and it lasted like two minutes. Brutal, yes, but I really thought that this was going to be something that, like, it's going to be all over the house and at some point they're going to up in the front yard throwing yeah. bicycles at each other, stepbrother <laughs> style. <laughs> Like in Halloween Kills, right? Yeah, big she's thing. like stabbing him, and she he, she gets stabbed in the ear with a. You guys say needle. there there's a couple of small nods to past films here too, where she does try to attack with the knitting needle again, and at one point he tries to put her hand in the disposal, a la Halloween H two O. That was a kill that she fought for to be more gruesome in that film, so they were gonna try it again. So I was like, oh shit, is she gonna get her kill? Is she gonna get her kill? And then again, you know, well, later hand you, got mangled. Later, you can see blood on that hand. But she still got all her fingers. Yeah. Yeah. But... Kind of at the end there, once she's finally got him, I mean, essentially pinned to the kitchen island, she's she's basically crucified him. Uh, yeah, yeah she uses knives to pin yeah. his hands down to their, the butcher block yeah. countertop. Yeah, and then... Uh, and she then uses she... a cast iron pan to drive those knives into his hand. And she, like, takes, like, her refrigerator, right? And she just brings it down onto his leg. So she has him pinned there, and she stabs him in the chest, and she gives him monologue basically about how for 40 years I've chased you I've ran from you and Michael jerks his hand out from that knife so his hand is split down the center much like Jason in part four and still somehow manages to strangle her with that hand and about that time Allison runs in and helps her basically finish him off well she breaks his arm yes yeah. oh yeah i forgot about in that the arm the, break over the island yeah with yeah. this horrible like crunch s- yeah stomach churning yeah crunch but they get him pinned back down again and this is the part that i had mixed feelings about and is that the way that laurie kills him is to cut his throat and then his wrist and then his wrist and that just i don't know why but that just felt wrong not but, as wrong yeah. as the part we're about to talk about right so the police finally show up and they're like yeah it's jason or it's 
Oh, shit. Jason. <laughs> I just fucked up. I'm sorry. Um, it's Michael, and he's dead, right? And mm-hmm. so Allison's like, let's show everybody. So they strap him to the roof of a car like he's a deer. And then they hit the parade hotline and to tell everyone... They use- they use the one phone number that they have that rings every phone in Haddonfield. Yeah. Because there's always that one number that'll call everyone all at the same time. Yeah, this is like a American Pie where you have one one email you're going to send out, but it manages to go to the whole campus. Yeah, it goes to the entire country. <laughs> yeah. And so everyone in Haddonfield shows up to go to the junkyard after they've paraded Michael through the town on the roof of a car. Yeah. So that they can feed him into the, uh, I don't even know it what that's like a, called. It, it looks like a trash compactor. It's, well, it's for metal yeah. it's like to shred metal it, i just and then they feed him into it yeah they and just, that's it yeah they just kind of drop him into this giant metal grinder and then like that's it and that was the most disappointing part of the movie for me i think that's fair so i was really like they should have given him a viking funeral like build a pyre set him on fire like yeah. Candyman style yeah. right yeah give him a bigger more dramatic end i don't mind that they killed him i mind that they just threw him in this grinder thing and that was it and everybody was like all right we're gonna go home now he should go out with a bang and not a whisper like if they'd whisper if they had thrown him on a giant pile of wood and burned him you know okay yeah or better if as Lori climbed up to kick him into the mangler he'd have grabbed her and dragged her into yeah then it would have been a poetic ending right yes they kind of one can't exist without the other yes and then they could have made it so that allison finishes the book or something but it would have been something but this was yeah he went out with a whimper and i was really hoping he would go out with a bang yes that's I think that's the problem I have with this movie. I think that's the problem that a lot of people have with it. It's it's not that they killed him. It's not necessarily that he was weak. It's that his end was forgettable. We it was were, a forgettable ending for him. We I said were, unceremonious. Yeah, we Absolutely. were waiting for like this Friday the thirteenth style showdown ending, and what we got was just like I don't know. I wanted to see like Freddy and Jason and Hellraiser uh, Pinhead show up and like drag him to hell or something. Oh my gosh. Something awesome. You're not getting it out needed, of the movie, honey. I'm just saying. It needed to be something epic. Yeah. And yeah, it was just kind of like, yeah, we're going to throw yeah. him in a giant garbage disposal and we're going to leave. After this, I mean, there, there's really not much more to tell because everything is basically like Allison's leaving town. She's getting to start a new beginning. Lori's kind of back to moving on with her life and completing her book. And, you know, then she's going to go on the ship with the elves to... <laughs> Yeah, she's going to leave whatever Lord of the Rings. She's going to have her Bilbo Baggins moment. (laughs) Yeah. Leave the one ring with, (laughs) I guess, Allison. And then we see Michael's mask still laying on the table as Don't Fear the Reaper plays like the original. And that's it. So... Thoughts, guys. The kills were amazing. The atmosphere was okay. And the movie was still disappointing. Uh, is it my turn? Uh, yeah. I, I think the cinematography was great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that the choice to kind of go away from your traditional Halloween franchise music was not necessarily terrible. I could have done yeah. with a little bit more, but mm-hmm. it was acceptable. Kills were good. Don't have any complaint about that. Story-wise, the story, I, I was better with it the second time I watched it, honestly. Um, this may be one of those where I find it less offensive the more times I see it. Yeah, where you start to notice all the small nods. Where it's like, okay, yeah, maybe. maybe this was neat. Needed, but... Maybe. 
but less of it. overall story's fine. I'm okay with the story. The real problem I have with this film is the end. I just don't like the end. And I realize they didn't spend my millions of dollars to make it. They did not make this movie for me. Yeah. They can end it however the fuck they want to. It's just not necessarily the ending for Michael that I was hoping for. Yeah. But everything else, it's fine. It's fine. What do you think, Ash? Well, I have more pros than cons in my list as, as I was going through and taking notes on this. As far as my gripes and their minor was like we've all just mentioned, the ending. I, the ending I felt was lacking. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, we already talked about it earlier about the fact that Michael seemed to be invincible before yeah. and then all of a sudden he's just not. So why plant that seed and not see that completely through? And then the fact that I don't buy that Michael would take somebody under his wing, like at all. I, I, don't, I don't buy that. No, the only thing, the only time we've ever established any kind of collaboration was with Dr. Death. And he that wasn't killed, a collaboration. No, but Dr. Death nursed him back to health. And then Michael killed him. Yeah, I just don't know that Michael was really I, aware that the guy was nursing him back Right, to yeah, health. there's never been a point where Michael was like, let's be best friends. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm with you on that one. Yeah, that was just something I didn't understand. As, as far as the story, I can understand in, um, I'm, <sighs> This is hard to explain. Dr. Wolfiela brought up something about Halloween Kills was our big Michael showcase. This is where you have him just being 100% in beast mode, you know, lifting firemen in the air, taking on 25 people, killing them all. That was where we got to see Michael in peak condition. Whereas this does feel like a little bit more of an epilogue of a film in that you're basically seeing what happened in the aftermath after and seeing that it doesn't matter whether Michael's there or not evil going to continue. It's an infection. And that is a theme that has been throughout this film's infection, infection. It's it's something that carries over from one person to yeah. another. Um, and so in that way, I understand, but I can also understand people's argument where they're saying that's fine, but that's not Halloween. Halloween, Halloween, as far as I know, or as far as I've seen, was never made to be introspective or philosophical. It was one of those turn your brain off thrillers that you watch for a good time. I just don't believe that this trilogy was ever that. I mean, yes, you could say that 2018 started that way very much. He escaped. He slaughtered people. You know, it was repeating that same formula. But rather than continuing to go with the same thing over and over like we've had for the last four decades, they decided, what happens after that? What really happens when Loomis looks out that window to see Michael's body gone? They they wanted to do something more with that. If you really want to think about it, all they did with these three films is remake the first three films. Because the first one was introduction, a little bit of a slower start, kind of a slow burn. Second film, even though Halloween 2 is not my favorite, kills were a lot more brutal, like more gruesome, like Mm -hmm. they turned it up to 11. Yeah. And then for the third film, they said, now for something completely different. Exactly. Exactly. So all they did was remake the first three films of the franchise. And in that way, much again, like I have heard said already, this felt like a love letter to John Carpenter as a filmmaker. This this was more about paying respects to... John Carpenter and the work that had been done before. Yes, that's why you get those nods to The Thing and Christine. I'm just kind of bummed out there wasn't one for They Live in There. (laughs) So I had wondered about the brawl in the sewer. Uh, 
maybe it didn't go on long enough. It but I'm wondering if you look at footage enough. of the brawl from They Live versus that, like if you looked at the choreography, would they be similar? Yeah, but I think maybe. that this trilogy as a whole was more of a character study than anything else, and I'm I'm completely fine with that. I'm fine. And the thing that that's bugging me is that people act like this is the last fucking Michael we're getting. No, it's we'll, not, guys. We'll be here for Halloween 14 next year. It'll be fine. <laughs> it's not. I'm you know, down for it. I'll, take, I'll take my kids to the showing of Halloween 27. Further down the line, yeah, you will. someone else is going to give their interpretation. John Carpenter gave his. Uh, Rob Zombie gave his. Now David Gordon Green has given his. That That's what this is. Everybody's getting their, ch- their chance to take a crack at this story. And it's fine. The way David Bruckner now has gone and he's giving his interpret- interpretation of Hellraiser. Fine. Let's see what someone else can do with it. And I'm good that this with that's what this person did or these people did they they said let's do something different and so in that regard the fact that they took risks with the story i'm good with and i feel like that's a brave thing to do giving it up for the for rowan campbell you know this guy's taking all kinds of shit right now because somebody said oh he had the balls to step step up and think that he's gonna be michael myers yeah you're goddamn right he did i was gonna say like, and i think he, he was fine he did a really good job for i i really timer. did it to me, again, this even though Michael's doing some crazy shit, this still felt like it was it had more realism, you know, as far as the way that the town is behaving and the way people behave. I mean, even and it's a scene that we forgot to mention before where the lady who took that fluorescent bulb to the throat showed up later and it shows that not only did she live, not only did she live through this attack, but she has to live with the repercussions of this for the rest of her life. Because she can't speak anymore. Yeah. If she's not a faceless victim like the other people who have been killed in the other previous iterations yeah, but have I, been. I had a problem with that whole scene because the sister, I guess, is there and accosts Lori. And she's like, it's your fault you brought him here. Mm-hmm. Even though we established in the last one, this is not all about you. The guy yes. from Armageddon said so. <laughs> He said, this is not all about you. So it must be true. Yeah. So, and a lot of people are like, I didn't want this to be the Corey movie. Again, I I loved Corey. I thought he was great. I was invested in him from the first moment. Like, I was like, whatever he's doing, I'm absolutely here for it. I, I felt for his character and felt very protective of his character, even though he was new. Now, I understand the argument can be made that if we were going to have this character that had such importance, that he should have been threaded through in 2018 and in kills. Just plant those seeds. I get that argument. I really, you know, really do. Even but if that's not what we Even got. if he had just been a background character, yeah. like where you see his face yeah. at some point or maybe a, a couple of short lines here and there. Not no, Nothing of consequence. Just... Yeah. yeah, like maybe at the opening of If they had shown mowing him along. mowing the yard while they're driving down yeah. the street in the background. Right. Give me some kind of introduction before you make him a lead. And I can understand that argument, but ultimately... Like we said before, because of the pandemic, it's not what happened. This is what we got. So I'm I'm good. I'm good with it. I thought he did great. You know, in the grand scheme of things, it, it, when you put that many years between films, they could have really screwed the pooch. They didn't do a bad job. Yeah. Maybe it's not the it's not the the one we wanted, but it's the one we got, and it's well, not terrible. All mm-hmm. well, things considered, it was good. And if you want a different one, 
all you need is a few million dollars <laughs> and you can pay somebody to make one just for you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's the end of an era. You know, well, so it, it is until they make the next one. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's the end of this story. It's the this end of this chapter. trilogy. Yes. And somebody else will come along and they'll do something else. I think that's the part I don't understand is that there's so much negativity out there. It's so much just bile from people that are like, this is how you ended it? Like, this is not the end. As long as there's an Akkad holding on to Halloween, <laughs> there will always be more Halloweens. Yeah. but Malik also- is not going to let this thing die. He's going to let somebody else take a swing at it later and there's going to be more Halloweens. I mean, yeah. here's the, honestly, they could just go back to, they could go back to formula. <laughs> they could start over. They could decide they're going to remake the very first one. How pissed off are you going to be then? <laughs> I mean, yeah. but who cares? There's going to be more Halloweens. There's going to be more Rockmeyers. Yes. That's just how it is. I mm-hmm. just happen to like this version of it. Yeah. I like, oh, yeah. so here's the deal. That's the other thing. There are 13 uh, Halloween films to choose from. If you don't like this one, there's 12 more. Mm-hmm. Find one you like and watch that one. And That's the beauty of this franchise. And also, most of those people that are out there like, oh, this is terrible. Okay, set down with the funds and the creativity and the know-how to build a film crew and make one yourself. Well, you know, the thing is, is that we've seen from Never Hike Alone that uh, there's fan film out there. It's possible. Yeah. If you don't like what you got, make your own. Yeah. You know what, though? Guy that made that? And they're going to get trolled hard, too, because it's probably yeah. not going to be as good as Never Hike Alone. <laughs> but you know what? The guy, the people who made that probably were really willing to sit down and yeah. put stuff forward rather than writing yeah. crappy reviews. Point being, watch this movie and make your own opinion. Yes. Don't listen to what everybody because else is saying. Because there's some really good reviews out there. There's some bad ones out there. Watch it and figure it out for yourself. Yeah. You don't You don't even have to like our opinion. You don't have to agree with our opinions. That's just it. It's our opinions. My thing is, is like I said, the people out there that say I hate this film, I get it. The people out there who say I love this film, I get it. Just don't be assholes to one yeah. another. Now let's at the talk end about. Of the day, it's just a fucking film. Now we get to talk about Terrifier too. No, we don't, because that's not what we're talking about today. But it could be. No. Now we need to wrap this up. <laughs> yes, I'm hungry. Damn it. <laughs> I'm sorry. If you want to talk about that in the next one, sure. I'm no hungry. tacos for you. <laughs> Make my own tacos. No, you won't. So next week we will get back to schedule our regular schedule and talk about. About one that even though Travis was literally here just saying you don't like it whatever you don't have to bitch about it because next week I fully intend for him to continue and bitch and say so, not my Michael so that that <laughs> does not change my opinion <laughs> I can't stand the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. I can't stand them. I don't like them. I can't do it. I can't. But if you love them, that's great. I'm happy for you that you get enjoyment from those. I'm not going to condemn someone for liking those, Robin. But (laughs) but I don't have to like them. That's it's America. I don't have to like them. So we hope you enjoyed this very long-winded at this point episode of Dead and Married, where we discussed Halloween ends. Get out there. Go if you haven't watched it yet. Get on Peacock. Go support your local movie theater. But either way, go see it let's keep supporting filmmakers let's keep supporting horror filmmakers and on that note take care guys bye see ya what would you do to save the life of a teenage boy if you subscribe to our patreon for just three to ten dollars a month you can get aiden out of the industrial size hamster wheel we use to power our show for that you'll get access to bonus content and allow me to remove aiden's handcuffs he doesn't run worth shit with them on anyway also be sure to show your support on our social media pages You can find us on Twitter as TravisL80 and SpookyMom83. Thank you for your consideration.